It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Henry David Thoreau once said, the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we'll look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Jonathan is unable to join me today, so sitting in his seat is Julie. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Julie, what is our topic for today's episode? Could God convict me of murder? And our theme text is Exodus 20:13. you shall not murder. Okay, pretty simple, straightforward subject. You, could God convict me of murder? So coming up in today's podcast, Jesus said that speaking disrespectfully about others is akin to murder. That seems over-the-top restrictive. Is that what he really meant? We'll find out in about 15 minutes. Do you ever think about how you judge others, what thinking or emotions go into it? Is that natural process of judgment actually another way to murder in the eyes of Jesus? We'll consider this in about 30 minutes. And, and how do we learn to see others in a good way and do so on a regular basis? What does it take? What do we change? We'll walk through these questions in about 45 minutes, but first a little context. The first four of the Ten Commandments all have to do with humanity's relationship to God. These directives came first because of our relationship with God should always be the driving factor in our lives. The fifth commandment focuses on our relationship with our parents and is fashioned after the first four to honor and respect being paramount. You shall not murder is the sixth commandment. It's the first of the Ten Commandments to focus on our relationship with all other human beings. It's a simply stated emphatic directive that teaches us of the sacredness of human life and sets the stage for the rest of the Ten Commandments. This commandment is not as simple as it sounds, and its importance cannot be overstated. Further, Jesus not only taught its importance, but he also dramatically expanded its meaning for his disciples. That's us. We will find you shall not murder to be a life-governing principle in every corner of our experiences. Most people are familiar with the Ten Commandments, but they don't realize how relevant they are to our Christian walk. So we've been going through each commandment on different episodes so that we don't miss any of the important lessons. Okay. And Julie, just before we start, I think it's appropriate to take a quick moment and just mention that Jonathan's not with us today uh, on the podcast. His mom passed away at the end of last week. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you know that he and Jewel have taken care of her for a very long time. They took care of his dad as well, and Jewel's mom before that. So our thoughts and prayers go out to Jonathan and Jewel uh, and their family at this point. Yeah, sending them lots of love. Yes, hard loss, very hard loss. Okay, let's get into the subject matter. The first four commandments, they're all about how to thrive in relationship to spirituality and to who God is is. So Julie, let's go through those first four commandments from Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 to 8. We're just going to read the, the, the pertinent parts. You shall have no other gods before me, and we covered that on episode 1147. You shall not make for yourself an idol, also on episode 1147. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We covered that in episode 1136. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
We covered that in episode 1127. Okay, so those four commandments, all about honoring God and respecting God and his way and his will. The fifth commandment, as we mentioned previously, is the first step in establishing how to thrive as a physical nation, remember these were to Israel, in relation to one another. And where's the best place to start in relation to one another? It's with your parents. Exodus, uh, fifth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your mother and father. Okay. And we learned some beautiful lessons in episode 1161. Okay, so this sets us up for the sixth commandment, our subject matter for today. This sixth commandment is the first and most fundamental command regarding a relationship with our entire human family. So you go from a relationship with God, very clearly the first four, relationship with our parents and honoring and respecting. It's kind of a bridge. And now it's how do you treat the rest of the world around you? Enter the sixth commandment. And again, what is it? That is, uh, you shall not murder. Okay, you shall not murder. What does the word murder mean? This sounds easy, but we got to really get detailed here. To dash in pieces, kill a human being, especially to murder. And I like that dashing in pieces picture because if you've ever tried to glue something back together, you know it can never be the same. Right, right. And so the, the idea here is it's a very specific word. There are several words for kill or slay in the Old Testament. This particular word describes a person who takes the life of another outside the limitations of the law and implies passion and rage behind the deed. Now, I noticed you said outside the limitations of the law. You're making that distinction um, that the law did have some exceptions for killing, and that was like legitimate warfare, execution for serious crimes. And there was also one that was interesting, killing an intruder in your home at night. But curiously, killing the intruder after sunrise was illegal. <laughs> well, and again, you can't see. So, and, and you say, well, why would God allow any killing? You know, and we right. want, we, a lot of times we want to go down that road. And the answer is God allowed sin to take its course. Remember, Adam sinned, and now the world was going to experience life with sin. Killing is part of the sinful world. God works with it to show us how bad it is. So no, we don't want to advocate any killing, but you have to understand the context of letting sin take its course. Okay, so... Um, Interestingly, this you shall not murder commandment is the only commandment that's repeated in all five books of the Torah. Now, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first use of or the first expression of this you shall not uh, murder commandment is after Noah and his family get out of the ark. Remember Noah and the ark and everything's destroyed, and now they're out of the ark. And this is one of the very first things God says to them. This is Genesis 9-6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. So you've got don't be killing other people or it will cost you your life. Why? Because man is made in God's image. Then, of course, we have Exodus twenty thirteen. You already read it. What does it say? You shall not murder. Now let's go to Leviticus twenty four seventeen. If a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. Okay, so in Leviticus, it says it in slightly different words, but it's the same commandment. Numbers, same thing. Numbers thirty five thirty. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death at the evidence of witnesses, but no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. So you see, there are restrictions 
but the you shall not murder comes up again. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then in Deuteronomy 5.17, it's a restating of that commandment. You shall not murder. So why is this so important? Julie, I think it's testifying to the sacredness of human life as a direct creation of God. That's the way God expresses it to Noah, created in my image. You have to pay attention to that. It's a warning against acting upon one's own passion, rage, and sense of personal retribution. And we need to be careful. The Old Testament, the law, gives us a sense of justice. Justice should be served but it should not be serving our personal retribution. We should be serving the justice of the law instead. That's one of the big lessons, I think, from the, from the Hebrew Scriptures in relation to you shall not murder. So, Julie, the, this commandment is about supporting life. And so each time we wrap this up, we're going to have a principle that helps us with this. So what is our first supporting life principle? The Old Testament was emphatic that human life was and is the highest of all earthly creation. Its sanctity, therefore, needs protecting from dark, passionate, and personal attacks. We need to keep that in mind, how important it is that we understand the place our emotions have and the place our emotions should not occupy. So, God's message in the Old Testament is pretty plain. Don't miss mess with those who were created in God's image. What we've seen so far seems pretty straightforward. So what did Jesus do to deepen it? Well, you know, we, we might think about the standard of the Old Testament regarding murder as a definitive line in the sand. This is something you simply do not do. Once appropriately judged to be guilty of murder, the law called for the death of the perpetrator. Now, along came Jesus, thousands of years later. His teachings for his followers move that line in the sand to a much more challenging position. So as straightforward as it sounded in the Old Testament, it's going to get more complex here and actually much, much more profound. After the Beatitudes, now we all remember what the Beatitudes are, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, so forth and right. so on, beginning in Matthew chapter 5. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. And everybody, we all think about the Sermon on the Mount, and we think about the Beatitudes. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is much more than that. After those Beatitudes, Jesus then is clearly stating the context. He's setting up his next teaching. He's telling his followers that, look, you're different. You are what the world needs to preserve godliness and to light the way back to God. So these next verses come right after the Beatitudes, and it's setting the context for where he's going next. So Matthew 5, 13 to 16 is setting a stage for us. You are the salt of the earth, but if that salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under the basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So salt is our stable, preserving character, and light gives hope and direction. And I've got a quote from Robert G. Ingersoll, anger blows out the lamp of my mind. Ouch. <laughs> I thought that was really good because our light is there and anger blows that out. And, and when you think about it in relation to what Jesus is going to say 
about our words that really, really is very appropriate because what we're going to see is anger and emotion are the things that cloud godliness. Now, you know, go ahead. I often look around the United States. You know, we've got the largest Christian population in the world. There's about 205 million Christians. And I keep thinking that if we could have 205 million people really walking around as salt and light, we'd have less anger, violence, morality issues. It'd make a real difference if all of us would just live up to that commitment that we made to serve God through his son, Jesus. Yeah, it would. It would. Well, you know what? Here's how you start, Julie. Do your part. I'll, I'll try to do mine, and then we'll see if we can pass it Salt on. Salt and light. Okay, right. So, but here's the question. How different are we? Jesus next, because that's the context, next just doesn't just give us a comparison, but a serious pra- uh, practical example of what standards of godliness will look like for his disciples. Now, in several scriptures following, in Matthew 5, 21 to 22, 27 to 28, 38 to 39, 43 to 44, and so forth, all of these scriptures carry the same theme, and this is all part of the Sermon on the Mount. And the theme is building upon, correcting, and lifting the requirements of the Old Testament law and its current, current meaning in Jesus' day, applications. And he uses this particular phrase, but I say unto you. That's a key phrase. When Jesus says, but I say unto you, he was not only lifting the law to a higher standard, he was also correcting any misuses of the law. Mm. You know, we sometimes look for loopholes in the law so we can justify doing what we really want to do. And the Jewish leadership at the time looked for loopholes around the law. Jesus emphasized the full expression of it. So he didn't want to tear it down. He magnified it. He didn't challenge what it taught, but he challenged, you know, those scribes and Pharisees. They had oral traditions and they were perverting it. And so he was refuting what they taught. We have a really good example of this. If we look at Matthew 5, 43 and 44, you've heard this. It says, you've heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, the Jewish law said to love your neighbor, but it never said, hate your enemy. Right. So it was a distortion that came from these oral traditions. So if you paraphrase Jesus, he says, you heard it this way, but I'm telling you, that's not what it means. And in fact, Christianity is going to elevate and expand on this by telling us to love even our enemies. And that's why in the next verses, that's why in Matthew 5, 20 to 24, we're going to break it down into a couple of pieces here. This is what he says next. Matthew 5, 20 builds exactly on that point, Julie, you just made. So let's just read Matthew 5, 20 to start. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And what was the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Kind of adding things to what was already written, kind of living up to the outside of it, to the look of it, but not to the reality of it. So he's saying, you're, you, who's you? My followers, my disciples, you are different. You have to rise up to a different level. And you know, it's interesting the next thing Jesus is going to talk about after he talks about thou sh- you shall not murder and what it really means to a Christian, he then talks about adultery. And it's interesting that those two things in the Ten Commandments, one follows the other. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. He treats these two in the same order because what he's doing is he's showing us how the law has such an expanded meaning for mm-hmm. his true followers. We're going to cover that next week, so you've got to make sure you, you, you stay with us for that. Okay. So here's what he's saying. You, my disciples, are charged with being more godly than your own spiritual leaders. Now, that's a challenge. That's a big challenge. 
So we're going to start reading Matthew 5, 21 and 22. But before we start taking this apart, I just wanted to read it in full and lay it out there because there's some pretty profound things here. Um, So he says, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell, which is the Greek word for Gehenna there. So we're going to go through the detail of this in a minute, but how do we get from don't kill anybody to now just getting angry is a sin? What's <laughs> happening here as like an overview for us? Okay, so Jesus is taking the simple phrase from the Ten Commandments that all of his Jewish audience would understand, you shall not commit murder. And he's saying, I'm telling you that there's much more to it. If you are following me, I am telling you that there are things that you need to pay attention to because it's not just the act of murdering, of snuffing out another's life that's important. It's the thought, it's the judgment, it's everything that's inside of you that can feed such an end result. That's the important thing. So Jesus is saying it's not just about the act. It's about your thinking and your emotions. And even if your emotions are not, you know, you're not the murderous type, he's still saying you've got to be careful about what goes on inside of your own head. That's what Jesus is going to begin to address here. Okay. So no one in our listening audience wants to sin. We're all, right. you know, Christians that want to do the right thing. So I can imagine somebody asking after they heard what you just said, what if somebody really betrays me or is so horribly abusive to me that I am filled with rage and hurt? How can this be sinning when my anger is clearly justified? Good question. I guess I inserted the word clearly. <laughs> Maybe it's not so clear. <laughs> but you know, we 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 get into experiences where we have justifiable anger. And it's not so much that you're you're angry and it's not justified. It's what is that anger pointed at? What is that anger looking for? You know, it, it comes down to what part of the experience are you focusing on? Okay. Just let, let, personal experience. Okay. Sure. I've been angry. Angry enough to, to the point where I wanted somebody to get hurt. And I'm not proud. You, Rick? Yes, me, me. And, and, and look, the circumstance was really difficult and it was deep. Several years ago when my youngest daughter was only 15 years old, she was raped. And I wanted the guy to get hurt. I did. Just, you know what? That, I'm a dad. Don't mess with my kid. <laughs> you deserve to bleed. I, and look, I'm not justifying it. I'm telling you, this is how I felt. I had an experience with that. Uh, where it could have happened. We're sitting at the table trying to figure out what's happening. This is like two days after we find this out. And I'm sitting next to my son, who's much older, and uh, he gets a phone call, and he is sitting next to me, and I can hear the phone because he's right next to me. And there's this deep voice on the other side of the phone that says, I understand you have a problem that needs fixing. Oh, boy. And, and my son says, what? And, I, and it's repeat. Now, I'm hearing this, okay? Yeah. And I have a choice to make at this point. Because I can decide, cool, I can just be quiet and let this unfold. I didn't hear nothing. Right. I could have sat there and said that, and I would have been a completely hypocritical thing to do. Not that I didn't want, <laughs> I mean, understand the conflict. So the guy repeats it, and Tim says, who is this? Because he doesn't even know who it is, and, and, and it's repeated. And then I looked at Tim, and, and my words were, Tim, call off the dogs right now. We're not going down that road. We're doing this right. I said, do you hear me now? Hmm. 
And he made, and he said, nope, nope, we're good. We're good. Thank you. Go away, basically. But see, Julie, that was my choice. It didn't make me less angry. But what it did, by God's grace, was redirect the anger at the circumstance. And that's really, it's okay to be angry, but let's make sure that we're not wishing physical harm. It's not our place. It's just not our place. So I, I know what it's like. And I know what it's like. Oh, I'll leave that at that. And that, that was, what episode was that? Because we talked uh, about that. What, what happens when life gets broken? That was uh, 829 is the episode for that. I have that one memorized. Yeah. And my, 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 my daughter, my wife, my other daughter, we were all, we sat in the studio and we talked yeah. about this whole experience. And it, it helped was, a lot of people. It did. It did. Because by God's grace, she came through it as more than a survivor. She is an overcomer and right. has become a very strong person as a result. But anyway, yes, we do get angry. Well, I have a question. So you you know the scripture Ephesians four twenty six that says, "Be angry and sin yet sin not." Right. I looked it up. That word "angry" there is this exact word for the same anger that we read in "Everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court." So how can I be angry but not sin? But in another case, I'm angry and I'm guilty to the court. Again, how is that possible? Where is my anger focused? That's what it boils down to. Am I focused on injury? Or am I focused on the circumstance that is wrong? So I can be angry at the thing yes. that is hurting me. I just can't take that out on the person. Right. We shouldn't because it's not our place. It's oh, not our that's place. It's so hard, though, if someone has wronged us. Of course it is. And I know, I know, I know. I've been there. And believe me, that wasn't the only time I was angry in my life. I don't want to talk about the others. One's enough for a podcast. Wow. Um, but go ahead. Okay, so let's start pulling this apart then. So let's reread what we just said. So we start with Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Okay. So first I noticed, you've heard that the ancients were told, and there were the people weren't studying this law for themselves. They're relying on the scribes and Pharisees as their religious leaders to tell them what the law said, and right. they were perverting it. Okay, now, you shall not commit murder is an appropriate statement. It is, a, it is a quote of the Ten Commandments. And it okay. says, whoever does that will be liable to the court. So what's the court? Because this is a different world than we're living in. So Julie, what was the court in, in ancient times? Okay, so according to Bible Commentary by Albert Barnes, the court was the tribunal that had the cognizance in cases of murder. It was a court that sat in each city or town and consisted commonly of seven members. It was the lowest court among the Jews, and as a reference, Deuteronomy 16.18. So it's kind of like their local village court, right. the lowest court. Okay, so they had a system where you would go to... If you committed murder, that was the system that you were judged by. And Jesus is saying, um, you've heard that this is true. And it is. So this was a true historical thing that was Jesus was bringing forward. And then he says those words, verse 22, Matthew 5, 22. Here's the, the big words, the transition. But I say to you, there it is. Okay, so we have to pay attention. But I say to you that everyone who is angry, and this word angry here means provoke or enrage, angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. That's that same court, that local court we just talked about. So you didn't need to physically take the life from someone to be guilty of breaking this commandment. Just having this murderous intent in your heart would be judged. And the Pharisees applied that law to actions and not the heart. So 
you remember Jesus now in 15, Matthew 15, 19 said, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. So I get that the thoughts can quickly lead to actions and they need to be interrupted as soon as possible. Right. And Jesus is saying, you're, uh, you're guilty. You're going to go before the court. Now, did he mean that every Christian who was angry was going to be going to their local court? No. What he meant is there is a judgment involved, and he's using the systems of the day so they could understand that those courts were set up because God set them up. And he said, you are, you are liable for God's judgment in this because God has a system. He had a system for the Jewish nation, and God's system is going to work for you. It's not going to be a physical system, but still, you are liable. If you're angry, you can be guilty before this court, the same court. So Jesus is identifying very strong negative emotions towards someone based on bad experience like we were talking about. But, Rick, when I'm furious with someone, like I, I'm not looking to physically kill them. I Good. just passionately want them to see like how wrong they were and how right I am. <laughs> okay. Um, and if I'm being honest, when me or especially one of my family members are wrong, I'm certainly not hoping that good things come their way. So am, am I off the hook if literal murder is not in my thoughts? No, no. See, that's the whole point of what Jesus is saying. You're not off the hook if you're not, you know, plotting to murder somebody. He's saying you're on the hook because you are being slanderous potentially slanderous in your thoughts and your words. And he's saying, that is not acceptable. So he takes this command, this commandment, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, and he's saying, this starts in your head. And I'm telling you, there's guilt inside of that head if you're going down this road inappropriately. So we've got to be careful because Jesus is addressing not actions, but thoughts and words. This is a big big thing. So let, let, let's go further. Matthew five twenty two. the next part of that verse. Okay. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And I did want to read that in the King James, because we may be more familiar. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. Okay. What does Raka mean? Well, again, according to Albert Barnes, it's a Syriac word it's expressive of great contempt. It comes from a verb that means to be empty, vain, and hence it's a word of contempt, denotes senseless, stupid, shallow brains. I love that. When is the last time you called someone shallow brains? Oh, don't, because that would be a sin. Right. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm le learning already. Good learning. Raka has an arrogant feel to it. It's yeah. degrading. It's disrespectful. And it's interesting. This is one of those words that's found in the Bible only once, and it's right here. And its root word means to spit. You know, so. and you think about spitting, especially in those times and now, you know, when you spit on someone, you are, mm. that, that is just a disgrace. And Jesus is saying, don't be disgraceful in your words to others. That's what he's saying. You're, you're going to be guilty. Now he says you're guilty before the Supreme Court. Now, how is this different from the court? Okay, so the Supreme Court was what they called the Great Sanhedrin, and they met at the temple in Jerusalem. There's only one of these. They would hear these appeals that were decided from the lesser courts, like our Supreme Court in the United States. So you're familiar with the Sanhedrin because Jesus went before them during his trials before he was crucified. Okay, so this is a bigger deal. So being angry with your brother puts you in a position to be judged by God. Being... being uh, 
disrespectful like this with that spitting kind of insulting approach says the judgment from God is even higher. It's something that's even more serious. So now think about it again. Jesus isn't saying every Christian is going to end up going before some Sanhedrin somewhere. He's talking to the Jewish society of his day using the systems that that they understood to make his point. He quantified the seriousness of anger and rage against your brother in terms of their own legal system. But what he's saying is God is watching, he's hearing, he's realizing, he's absorbing your thoughts and your words, and they mean something, and you have to be really, really careful with that. So, you know, here's the thing. Julie, pop quiz. Uh Uh-oh. Did Jesus ever get angry? Um, Okay, let's see. Yes, uh, when he drove the money changers out from the temple, I think that was in Matthew. Yes, and he was really angry. He turned the tables over, and he's yelling, and he's all this, and he'd say, well, we're saying don't get angry, but look, but what was he angry about? He said, you've taken the sacredness, I'm paraphrasing, the sacredness of my father's house, and you've made it into a den of thieves. He was angry at what they did. He stopped the wrongdoing of desecrating the temple for illicit gain. That's what he was angry at. And he didn't ruin their livelihood. He just made them leave. He made them have he to He stopped get, it. Right. He stopped it. Right. Was he ever angry any other time? Um, well, I know he called the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. So I think he did. He was angry at them quite a, quite often. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was near the end of his, his ministry. That was in Matthew 23. And what he's saying to them is you're hypocrites because you are misrepresenting the word of God. So is he picking on the people? Or is he picking on what they did and the misrepresentation of God Almighty? Mm -hmm. See, his anger was focused on righteousness, not on the person, but on righteousness. That's how anger needs to be expressed. So that's a good example for us. Right. Uh, You know, we do have uh, two CQ Kids videos. One is called, Did Jesus Ever Get Angry? And there's a second, What Was the Purpose of the Loss? You can find that at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Okay. All right, so now let's finish up Matthew 5, verse 22. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And again, that's the word for Gehenna. Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. So now you go from Raqqa, we talked about that stupid shallow brains thing, (laughs) spitting, to (laughs) thou... Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but shallow brains is funny. Okay, to thou fool, what does this mean? Uh, This term expressed more than want of wisdom. It was expressive of the highest guilt. And it was commonly used, according to Barnes' commentary, to denote those who were idolaters and those who were guilty of great crimes. Okay, so this is a big word, thou fool. It's not just saying, oh, you foolish person. It is those who committed great crimes. So Jesus is saying, we had better watch, we as his followers, better watch what we say and what we do because... And what we think, because we can be guilty before God of misrepresenting others in an unholy way. So it's as if we're telling them, you are an idolater, you're such a bad person. Right. And that's not right. Right. Judgment belongs to God, not us. Okay. Now, just a quick word on Gehenna. You know, guilty of, you know, the King James Version says, you know, the fire of hell or hellfire or something. Gehenna was the Valley of Hinnom. It's a valley that's outside of Jerusalem where in long past generations, children 
were sacrificed hideously to an idolatrous god. The hideousness of these actions made the valley become a garbage dump where the dead bodies of particularly heinous criminals were thrown into instead of being buried. So what happened here in Gehenna? Gehenna, because it was a place where you disposed of the bodies of horrible criminals, it became the, the, the idea that somebody in that circumstance was, in, was guilty enough to be disgraced in their life and then guilty enough to be disgraced in their death because it was really disgraceful to not be buried as a Jewish person. And when I was in Israel, we drove by that valley of Gehenna. It's very peaceful. It's got grass and stones. It's like this big empty field. And it's quite beautiful. Yeah, it wasn't that way then. They kept the fires burning, so everything that was there was consumed. The idea was complete consumption of everything, not any kind of pain or suffering because nothing alive was ever thrown there. So what's Jesus' point here? For Jesus' disciples, belittling and slandering your brother is as though you ruthlessly murder them. Mm. So I, uh, I, I do have a commentary, if you yes, if yes, that's okay. Yes, yeah, go ahead. Um, we have a commentary by David Gusick on this that I just really put things in order for me. We should emphasize that Jesus is not saying that anger is as bad as murder. It is profoundly morally confused to think that someone who shouts at another person in anger has sinned as badly as someone who murders another person in anger. Jesus emphasized that the law condemns both without saying that the law says they are the same things. The laws of the people could only deal with the outward act of murder, but Jesus declared that his followers understood that God's morality addressed not only end, but also the beginning of murder, end quote. And that's where this starts to make sense to me and that murder is not just that split second act, but it's the process. And that process starts with anger. Nip that in the bud and you've avoided more sin and heartache. And then, so, so you take those thoughts, and now you look at the next verses in Matthew chapter 5, because these verses, 23 and 24, give a kind of a practical example of how to nip those things in the bud. So let's go to Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your, your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. Okay, so l- let, me, let, me, let me paraphrase this. We're going to give you a Rick paraphrase on this. Therefore, do not be content with outwardly serving God while you are not in harmony with your brother. Instead, approach him, work to make things right, and then you will be living your dedication to God instead of just making a presentation to God that looks good. It's a matter of living it, not just saying it or acting it. And this comes back to the beginning where Jesus said, your righteousness has to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. He's making the point with our words and the way we treat others and saying, it's just like murder. You don't want to go down that road. So, Julie, wrapping this up, the supporting life principle for all of this discussion is what? Jesus' teaching was to avoid murder by living the principles of godliness in all ways at all times. Unchecked, disrespect for our brother can and will escalate. The results are disastrous as we may end up murdering their reputation in front of others. Got to be careful of things like this. See, Jesus is really teaching us to take giant steps. Don't even mentally mess with those created in God's image. What does Jesus' teaching regarding you shall not murder mean for us in a very practical sense? Okay. 
It's one thing to read and think about what Jesus taught, and another thing entirely to do the work. The bottom line of his teaching on murder is this. If we let a murderous attitude begin in our hearts and minds, we are giving ourselves permission to engage in that murder. Destroying someone's character with conclusions or words is a serious sin. It's a serious sin. So, the murder of others' characters, where does it start? It always begins, always, folks, for us, it always begins with how we feel. Oh, I love this quote, Benjamin Franklin. He said, anger is never without reason, but seldom with a good one. (laughs) How true. (laughs) And you know what? From the feelings that we have, those feelings develop judgments that support these feelings but are often untrue or skewed. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses this. Now, we're going to jump down to Matthew 7, but realize this is still the Sermon on the Mount, so you had all of Matthew 5, all of Matthew 6, and the context before Matthew 7, 1 to 4, which is about judging. The previous context, the previous few verses in Matthew 6 is, first, don't store up earthly treasures. You need to be focused on spiritual things, not earthly things. Then the next piece of context is, Don't spend your life in worry and anxiety. Just don't worry. Let God handle these things. And now the next piece of context that we're going to be dealing with is don't judge. So, uh, Julie, uh, Matthew 7, uh, let's just start with verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. What does it mean to judge? To distinguish, that is to decide, by implication, to try, condemn, or punish. Okay, so the implication of this scripture is that Jesus is addressing our emotion-based judgment of others as being unfair. See, this word for judge can be very forthright and, and righteous, or it can be kind of skewed. And we take the skewed meaning because the previous context, we're talking about the skewed perspectives of imperfect humanity. So we can see he's following a pattern. Always read the words in context. It makes sense. So he's saying your skewed judgments of one another are off. And here's what happens. Let's go to Matthew 7, 2. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Okay, so here, this is a simple equation. If we are considerate and factual in our judgment, we can expect God's grace and mercy upon us. Okay, considerate and factual equals God's grace and mercy. If we are emotional and biased in our judgment— then we can expect God's righteous anger. Emotion and bias, God's righteous anger. Uh, Consider it and factual, God's grace and mercy. I know which one I pick. (laughs) (laughs) It's very straightforward, okay? The way we judge, we will be judged. So we are determining how God is going to look at us. Think about this. This is big stuff. Jesus now reveals that the kind of judgment we give is based, and here's an important thing, it's based on what we're looking for. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? Okay, so this really sums up the origin of slander. It's, it's, It's evil judgments that come from a contaminated heart. You know, you can't really see the speck unless you're looking for it. You know, just just a quick experience from long ago. I used to work in a cabinet and countertop shop, and um, I started out on production line. I ended up being the general manager. But one of the things that would happen every so often, because there's dust and, and sawdust and all kinds of stuff all over the place, somebody would get something in their eye. 
And, you know, and it's a tiny speck and it's painful and you can't work because your eye is tearing badly. And inevitably, when it would happen, they'd come find me because I don't know how it happened, but I became the guy that took the specks out of people's eyes. Okay. <laughs> well, and you know, you, you take a, one of those cardboard matches, you pull it out and the bottom of the match, not the head, but the bottom was really good at attracting things. But I'd have to sit the guy under the, a light, and now he's, he's crying, okay? His eye is tearing, and his eye is bloodshot, and i got to find this thing. And I'm looking, and i got the light. Okay, look left. Look right. Okay, okay, wait, wait. Hold it. It's there. Okay, just hold still, and then you just take it and just, just gently pull it out. Then you wash, wash the eye out and, and go back to work. But the thing is, it took a, it was a project to find the speck. Okay. So if we are looking at the speck in our brother's eye, it means we're, we're, we're searching for it. I know it's there. And you can't go down that road. That's what Jesus is saying here. Mm-hmm. Of course, the principle of this speck and log story is we're setting us up for our own judgment. So knowing that God's going to use that same standard on us that we're using on our brother, are we still going to call him Raka? Will we still be careless and irreverent and disrespectful? And boy, this makes me think of social media, me going online and trolling people or anonymously leaving comments. Doesn't that fit here as well? Yeah. You know, and think about the idea of anonymously leaving a comment. You're a Christian and you're going to leave an anonymous comment. Who knows who you are? I know who knows. God oh. Almighty. God knows who you are. Okay, so forget this idea of being anonymous. You think you're getting away with something? Oh, no, no, no. You're just making your own life more difficult. Yeah. So Jesus isn't only asking us for to have self-control so we don't like physically or verbally lash out and do something stupid, but now we've even got to control our thoughts. This is an exceptionally high standard. You know, the law was already impossible to keep and only Jesus could do it. Now Jesus is making it harder. Why is this? Yeah. <laughs> He's making it hard. Now, this is, this is good because see, this is getting back exactly to the beginning, to the whole reason. Why does Jesus do this? Well, remember, you shall not murder is elevated to the high status of, who's Jesus talking to at the ser- in the Sermon on the Mount? His followers, his disciples. So it's the status of, you are my disciples. And this is Jesus speaking. This means that you represent me. Therefore, you my disciples, act like me, Jesus. That's why the standard is so high, because he's telling us we are his representation in the world around us. Act like it. That's sobering. It is. And that's where we need to be focused on. And that's why our words can be murderous, because Jesus understands we are representing him, Son of God, the the plan of the Almighty God, that's our, represent- our representation. That's our responsibility. So instead of owing others nitpicking and harsh judgment, we should focus on giving them something else. Well, what else should we give them? It's easy. Romans 13, verses 8 and 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And who's my neighbor? everyone's my neighbor. So even the people that I don't like or that I'm angry about. And love everyone. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. 
Yeah. And if I'm representing Jesus, it's easier to think that I don't have to be angry at this person because Jesus wouldn't be. Right. The anger, the words, we have to put that in control. What would Jesus do? Now, look, you can say, okay, you know, love everybody. That sounds e- not easy. No, it, it's, it's not, okay? That's not easy. No. <laughs> okay. How do we get to such a point? You have to know what to do. Then you have to decide to do it. And then you have to grow into doing it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 actually describes those points. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Okay, put aside all of these things, you know, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Have you ever seen a little baby hungry? They cry and their whole body cries because they need to be fed. That's how our Christianity needs to act. And and, and that is how we grow in respect to salvation. It's simple. You've got to uh, know what to do. You've got to decide to do it. And then you've got to grow into doing it. So as we mature in our representation of Jesus, our spiritually based actions will dictate our words. I wish I could get to my emotions, though. Well, you know what? If we have spiritually based actions, that gets to your emotions eventually. You know, in parenting, parents, and I've seen this a hundred times, not only in my own parenting experience, but in the parenting experience of others, parents have to deal with their own anger. And sometimes a child needs a great firmness, but you have to be careful as a parent how you deliver the firmness. It has to be delivered with, with compassion and some grace and love. Because if you deliver firmness with anger, the child picks up the anger and says they don't like me versus if they see the firmness in the context of I'm never giving up on you, it comes across differently. That's how you get to your emotions. You do the right thing and you sell out to the right thing and you back into changing your emotions and you learn as a parent, ideally, to take your anger and say, I don't need to be angry here. I need to be firm and loving. And I'll take out my anger some other way. That's how you do it, is you put godly actions first. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27, and then we're going to 29 to 32, helps us to understand this. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. See, there it is. Be angry and do not sin. It's okay to have anger, but it's not okay to sin because of it. Speak to each other from the perspective of being eternally connected. And when we do this, this crushes Satan's hold. It just crushes it. Well, when it says do not give the devil an opportunity, my perception of that human being that I'm calling names and stewing over every day, couldn't that become like my God, my idol? Mm -hmm. Because all my attention is now focused on that person. Yeah, yeah. See, and that is why our anger at the person rather than the circumstance can become so easily sinful because now we have idolized revenge or jealousy or frustration or, or hurt, whatever it is, we've idolized it. And we don't want to go there. In the next segment, we're really going to go down that road of what idolatry can do to us. So here's what we need to do. Decide what you want your communication to look like, sound like, and accomplish. Will my communication murder or will it nourish? It's a choice. Let's go to verses 
uh, 29 to 32 of Ephesians chapter 4. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Okay, pause right there. No unwholesome word comes out of my mouth. This is what Jesus taught. This is what Paul is verifying. Why? Because you want to give grace to those who hear. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We will grieve God's Spirit within us. His power and His influence within us is not—we're not using it appropriately, and and we're, we're grieving God by not doing the right thing with our words, okay? And then verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with the malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So there's all, all of this stuff, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Mm. Put it away. What does slander mean, actually, in this verse? It means vilification, especially against God. Now, vilification, I had to look that up. It means abusively disparaging speech or writing. It's used a lot in politics. You shall not murder. You shall not vilify. You shall not have bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Let them be put away from you. Be kind and tenderhearted instead, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is what we've been given. We therefore should give it to others. What's our supporting life principle to wrap this piece up? Every aspect of our discipleship depends on our daily decisions to live in accordance with godliness and the influence of God's Spirit. Our vilification or support of others is the fruitage of these daily decisions. Do I vilify or do I support? Got to ask yourself those questions. See, this is such an important aspect of understanding what our life looks like when we are actually being a Christian. We've seen what the transformation of thoughts and words look like. Now, how do we do it? (laughs) You know, that always comes down to that. Okay, how do you do it? Well, it can be difficult to conclude we are wrong and even murderous in our thoughts and words. I mean, that's a hard place to go to. But once we have the humility and courage to recognize this, our next step is to have the humility and courage to change. While this is scary, it's achieved by taking small, definitive, spiritually-based steps. Small, definitive, spiritually-based steps. What do we mean by that? Well, let's start with what we know. We're going to go to James 1, 17 through 18, and there's three things that James 1, 17 through 18 are going to give us as these things that we know. Go ahead. Every good thing Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. Okay, there's three very basic things that we need to know. First, every good thing, every perfect thing is from above. That's something that we should know. Secondly, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Remember that phrase, the word of truth. That's the second thing. It's the word of truth that brings us forth. Remember, we're talking about our words. Well, it's the word of truth that brings us forth. And then the third thing is why. It's the why. We would end up being a first fruits, a a first result of the goodness of God's plan for all of his creatures. So that's what the call of Christianity is about, knowing that all things are, that are good come from God, that are through the word of truth, 
And so we can be first fruits. These are the things that we know. Now, knowing these things focuses us, focuses us on attaining and maintaining a willingness to listen. James has gone through these things, and here's what he says now in James 1, 19 through 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. There it is. The That's anger, heavy. Well, and it's true. It's the truth. This is exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5. Don't say these things about your brother because you are liable before God. The anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. And even if you're a Christian and you get angry and you want to tell somebody off, are you achieving the righteousness of God? No. Or are you grieving the Holy Spirit? Right, right, Ugh. right, right. We, we don't want to do that. So even though we know that our anger doesn't bring God's righteousness— even though we know that, we need to slow our minds down enough to hear, okay? You have to slow down enough to hear. Then we must stay in that listening mode. Don't talk, don't escalate, just listen, okay? We have to put things in their proper, appropriate perspective in dealing with this kind of thing. Otherwise, we lose it and we end up sinning and going down that murderous path. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now it comes down to, well, what do we hear? Because we're saying, okay, slow down to here. Well, we already know what we know. Okay, now here is what we here is what we're going to hear in James one twenty one. You could have chosen better words, I think, but anyway, you know what the point is. <laughs> Therefore, meaning because you know and because you're listening, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Okay, receive the word implanted. Remember, it says he brought us forth by the word of truth. So we were brought forth. So now you have to take that word that you were brought forth with, receive it implanted. And here's the thing. In humility, you have to do this. So if we're listening and repeating God's words, we have no room for our own. If, if, we're, if we're taking God's word and, 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 and repeating that, we're a conduit for God's word, there's not going to be space for our judgments and our, and, our, and our vitriol and our anger because it, it gets drowned out by something bigger and stronger. Replace what we're listening to, which was sinful, with a new source of input, which is heavenly. Choose your source. You know, you've heard the phrase garbage in, garbage out? Right. Spirituality in, spirituality out. Same thing. Decide. The proof is evident in how we transform. We go now to James 1, verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And we, you know, learned about the Pharisees. They were hearers and repeaters of the word, but they weren't doers of the word. Jesus changed that. And the whole point of Jesus drawing disciples after himself, you know, think, think about what he said. Did he say to, his, to, to these proposed disciples, come, listen to me? He didn't say that. He said, come, follow me. If a man is going to follow me, what must he do? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow. Follow is action. Be doers of the word. And if you are doing the word, I mean seriously doing the word with your every day, there's no time for murderous talk. You just don't have time. You don't have room for it. It becomes irrelevant. It becomes unimportant. And it becomes foolishness. And it's like, forget that. That's hard to get to. Okay. I'm not saying it's easy. And it takes a lot of work. But Jesus was, was very, very specific. We can hurt others with how we address them 
to, to other people or to them. We don't want to do that because we are liable to be judged for that. Treat others with respect. That's what Jesus did. Now, let's get down to a couple of last scriptures here. Once we're transformed, okay, we've talked about that through these James chapter 1 scriptures. We have to work at staying that way. So the next verse is, folks, this is the gut check for to see if we've actually really been, really are living that transformation. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, I'm going to take it in several pieces. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Whoa. Okay, so all of those things amount to idolatry. Now, if you go back to the, 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 the episode that we talked about, you know, thou shalt not have any idols, you know, any graven images. We talked about where idolatry stems from, and it comes from the heart. So the choice in Colossians 3, verse 5, is to be godly. Now, that comes from the heart. Well, where does idolatry come from? The heart. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> How can we have both? And that's the problem, and that's the question, and that's what we have to be aware of. Do I have both of those? And is there room for both of them? Because there's really not. You know, ain't enough room in this town for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You know, you got to get rid of the idolatry. Which will it be? Gut check. That's what this is. Verse 6. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Okay, sons of disobedience are those that are idolaters. So be very clear. Idolatry brings God's anger, always has, always will. What do I choose? Do I choose godliness from the heart or idolatry from the heart? Verse 7. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Okay, once upon a time, you were like that, and it was okay that you were like that because you didn't know better. Now you do. Jesus charged us with representing him, and that word for slander, that word for vilify is here in this verse again. This representation of Jesus requires daily renewal, daily reminders that that's what I used to be, that's not what I am. Be willing to ask yourself, did I really reject these things? Mm. This is something that might help us with rage or if we have a mean spirit, because if I agreed to represent Jesus, I need to look at why these are my reactions. Yeah, yeah. And, And folks, don't be afraid to look at that. Because when we look at why, and we ask that question with honesty and sincerity and with prayer, and perhaps if you have someone you can spiritually trust with fellowship, because that's important, we can get to the bottom of it and then make the changes so we don't become murderous in our speech. Because Jesus was emphatic that there is judgment because of that. And then verses 9 and 10 from Colossians 3. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Okay, don't lie. Okay, and you know what? It's easy to... To to, to, to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Well, it says no. Don't lie to one another, it says. Okay. Okay, you know, to one another. You know, and obviously that means don't lie to yourself either, but you don't pass that on. Don't neglect the truth of the difficulties that you're facing. Face them. That's what this is telling us. And this can only be accomplished if we have our heart longing for God and his blessing. And folks, if you do have your heart longing for God and his blessing, and you've got issues with your words and with slander and all of that, bring it before God. 
Get some spiritual help from those you can, you can count on spiritually. Work on it. Become accountable. And, your, and this gut check can bring you from idolatrous behavior and murderous talk to godly words. What a, what a change. What a change. One final reminder, that in, and that is we do not sit in the seat of judgment. That's for God. For, for such a seat for us, because we're imperfect, that can lead to murder. That's what Jesus said. Romans 14, 10 to 13. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in his brother's way. Well, that's a big paradigm shift because here we go from being judgmental to opening the way for them so they can have the most direct road to their own spirituality. I think this is why Jesus is so emphatic about thou shall not murder because we're putting a stumbling block in them when we de- in front of them when we demean them. We're supposed to be taking away stumbling blocks instead of contributing. And there's where we're supposed to be salt and light. If we were all salt and light, we'd be removing blocks from people not having these thoughts of putting them out. So now when we go back to Jesus' original words in Matthew 5, and you know, you look at those words and they sound so harsh. Man, does he really mean this? Now that we've gone through all of this, you see that what he said is necessary because if you are a representation of Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory, I mean, think about that, all right? If you are that representation, then we need to open the way to truth, to goodness, to everybody, whether they're friend or enemy. What did Jesus say? Love your enemies. You know, pray for those who who despitefully use you. So the idea, like you said, is open the door. Don't close it. Open it. And your words and your thoughts are absolutely imperative in having that open door uh, prospect in looking at your everyday life. Got to do it. Don't be a murderer with your words. So Julie, what's our final supporting life principle? Jesus raised the bar considerably concerning the you shall not murder commandment. Let us see, embrace, and act on the wisdom in his higher standard, knowing it makes us strive to become truly Christ-like in our everyday lives. It's a choice. It's always a choice. We can look at our lives, we can look at our circumstances, we can look at what's happened to us, we can look at our traumas, we can look at our difficulties, we can look at our, our, our being mistreated, we can look at all of those things, and we can come up with all kinds of excuses to say, I want to be able to say or do, and I have a right to, and they did this, and on and on and on. Folks, here's the bottom line. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus died for every single sinner that's out there. Should we not do the same? That's why our words and our actions need to be in conjunction with the way Jesus was and is, because we are his ambassadors here and now. Let's act like it. Think about it. 
Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Now, coming up next week, we already mentioned to you, we're going to go to the next commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. So the question for next week Is adultery really that bad? I almost kind of hate to ask that question, but we're just going to leave it on the table. Is adultery really that bad? We'll talk to you next week.